welcome back to another episode of Shockwave Solutions, where we present real-life actionable insights for direct response marketers. Today, we have with us Richard Owens from Be Fulfilled Systems, and Richard is a finance guru. Woo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> so, Richard, uh, first of all, I just want to thank you for jumping on with us. Um, we're going to get into, you know, talking a little bit about your journey into the direct response space. Um, and what we really hope to do today is to be able to kind of walk through some of the things from a financial aspect. I know some people go financial and they're like, well, eyes glaze over. But we really want to be able to, to dig in for business owners and entrepreneurs when they're looking at their finances or when they're talking about direct response from a numbers perspective, um, looking at you know the insights that they can gather about what their finances tell them about their business and then how to use that to really enhance their direct response uh, campaigns or, or marketing. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. Yeah. So before we do that, I do want to jump right back and talk a little bit about uh, your journey into direct response. Uh, how long have you been with Be Fulfilled Systems now? So I've been with Be Fulfilled Systems now all, to, all together, the conglomerate of companies about <laughs> six, seven years now. Yeah. Time, time's flown. Uh, e-commerce is definitely a very fast and exciting ride, even on the, uh, the accounting finance side of it. So that's uh, the big piece of my background there. Yeah. And Be Fulfilled Systems, for those who of, of our audience who may not know, um, there's a lot of different services that you guys are bringing to the table. Um, we worked with you with, with some of our clients in uh, more of the financial aspects, but I know you guys do cover quite a, a number of different things from fulfillment to manufacturing to finance to a number of other categories as well. Do you want to kind of recap what Be Fulfilled Systems uh, yeah. works with or how, yeah. it, how it kind of developed maybe? Most definitely. Yeah, we pretty much consider ourselves, you know, we're marketers that kind of moved into the back of the house. We kind of saw that from our own experience. You know, we, we built out our own back of the house and we said, you know what, this is the part that the marketing entrepreneurs don't really want to do. Right. And we found kind of quite the niche there. And we found that we were, we were really good at it. So we offer everything back of the house from customer service to financing inventory to fulfillment to just like we're talking about today, the this fractional CFO, the accounting right. and finance side of it. So basically, I think you could pitch it as basically anything that the uh, entrepreneur marketer just doesn't want to want to handle and mess with. So everything, you basically run the entire company for them. Basically, yes. <laughs> That's how we look at it. But let them do what they do best, which is which is that marketing side and growing the business. Right, right. So then let's jump back then and talk a little bit further on um, your journey to be fulfilled. Where did you, you know, did you start? Uh, you know, I don't know. How, what was your journey into the direct response? What was your journey to be fulfilled? And uh, before you guys started, you know, because you, you've been with them for seven, six, seven years, you said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, way, way, back, there? way back, I, I started my career in public accounting, uh, working okay. with clients and uh, audit and taxation. And I kind of found that, that that wasn't quite exciting enough for me, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it it gave me a really good background from there. I, I kind of moved into uh, public accounting, or I'm sorry, private accounting, from small you know, companies to to real large companies, and I kind of fell into the the niche of e-commerce just out of uh, you know, hey, that seems interesting, and I tell you what, I I love it. I love the excitement of it, um, and I've just stayed with it just out of pure passion. Okay, so then. Um, was the e-commerce company that you're working with, was that the same company that, that um, kind of founded Be Fulfilled Systems or was it a completely different journey? No, it, it was the same company kind okay. of morphed into Be Fulfilled Systems. You know, when, it, when I first started, it was very, very small. I think, uh, you know, maybe three, four million dollars a month and, and, and kind of grew that up into, uh, you know, 30, 40 million dollar a year company and uh, along with several other affiliated companies. Um, Got it. Then through kind of the whole beef fulfilled, you know, I have I have a huge umbrella of, of clients on the uh, fractional CFO accounting services side of it. Okay, I'm curious um, when you made that transition into uh, e-commerce from you know more general accounting type of services, you know, what were the nuances or the challenges when you were kind of making that transition to e-commerce or to direct response? Like, what was it? You know, do you kind of look back and think about some of the things that were a little bit more difficult to understand or grasp or get your head head around from? more traditional, uh, you know, accounting or market, uh, accounting for, for general businesses? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a great question. I, I think the biggest change was everything in the e-commerce space moves very, very rapidly. 
it, yeah. it can move from one sale to the next sale and uh, the whole metrics that go with that can change right along with it. And I think that's what brings the, the excitement to it. But, you know, from a finance accounting standpoint, it, it brings uncertainty, which in, in our world's never a good thing. It takes a little bit to adjust to that. But, but once you do, you can kind of really, really see the niche that you play in the role for the whole team. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what's made me stick with it. I think also in, in, I think the regular business world, you have a business cycle, you know, cash comes in, you know, you pay your bills and, and it's, it's a rather long cycle, you know, right. maybe 30 days or whatever, you know, it's amazing in the e-commerce, you make a sale and that evening it'll settle out and you'll have your cash, you know, um, I, I, I think those hopefully. are the things that, yeah, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I think those are the things that really, really took quite the adjustment. Mm -hmm. Um. I know from when we look at some of our clients that we've worked with, if they don't, if they're setting up their, you know, there's different ways to set up your, your finances and your bookkeeping, right? You can do a cash, you can do an accrual, you can do a modified cash. Um, can you kind of recap what some of those different structures are for accounting and, and what's a good business to use in, in each of those circumstances real quickly? Sure, sure. So cash accounting is just basically just that. When the cash comes in, that's when it uh, it hits your books. When the cash mm -hmm. goes out, that's when it kind of hits your books. Um, accrual basis is you're accounting for those expenses in the in the right time period when they happen. Same thing with the revenue. The biggest difference between the two is cash basis. If you get a large inventory purchase, you're going to expense all of that inventory at one time. So in that period, you're going to you're going to have a, a big loss. Obviously, you're not going to sell all your inventory in the next thirty days. Um, so it, it kind of distorts the picture. Mm -hmm. you know? I recommend that, that everyone move to the accrual basis. And that's kind of what we do with our services is we move you over to the full accrual basis so that every time you make a sale, you have all of your costs in line with that. So you know your profitability basically every single time you make a sale. And that's what keeps the finance and the accounting piece of it matching the speed of the marketing piece. Right. And, and makes it a useful tool for the entrepreneur. Yeah, because we worked with clients before where they're on the cash basis and they have a certain expectation or assumption of what their profitability is. And so they're going, this is great. And then they're looking, you know, at, because all they're seeing is what's in the bank right now. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, and, and they're, not, they're not taking into account that, oh gosh, really, you know, I've got to buy more inventory here next month. And really my, my cash is at best, you know, it's break even. At worst, I don't have the cash to buy the next inventory and I don't have the cash to grow. Right. So when you're on that accrual basis and you know what your numbers are with each sale, you know, to, to use marketing speak, you know when to put the fuel on the fire and mm -hmm. when to grow. You know yeah. when, when you're in the black and you can say, we're there. I've hit a niche in the marketing. Let's go. Let's grow. Let's take this to the next level, as they always say. Right. Nothing worse than hitting the gas on a campaign where you're losing money and not realizing it. Yes, I, I've seen it. I've seen it plenty of times. Yes. So what what would you say is like, is there like a process that you go through or is there certain things that for a marketer or a business owner who's maybe getting ready or preparing or planning for a launch or launching a campaign or a company, um, things that they should do on the from a proactive financial perspective um, to put together their planning? Are there certain metrics or there certain ratios that they should use? You know, could you can you talk through what that might look like from a putting together the the development stage of a of a company? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that, that completely makes sense. I, I think the key is getting the CPA, the the cost per acquisition formula down, mm. at least on the marketing side to start with, so that they know that when they're acquiring the customer, that that formula is correct. That they're acquiring each customer, making each sale in the black or at least where they want it to be. Maybe they have some reoccurring that's going to bring that whole cart value up and make that whole transaction with that customer profitable. But it's getting that set on the marketing side and then coming back on the finance side to double check that formula through the accrual basis so that just because you think that you're paying $10 a, a piece for your product cost for each sale, to make sure that that's actually happening or that your merchant fees are where they need to be. Mm -hmm. All of your direct costs are in line with what you're projecting them to be. And once you have those two set and that's that's happening, 
that's that's when it's the time to say, hey, we've got it. Let's start scaling. You know, we've we've got the magic formula. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you know if you're with working with a number of different direct response marketers, you've got different segments in the market. Sometimes you have like informational info type of products or downloads or digital products. Um, you have like hard goods. Um, you'll have you know things like you know survival knives or you know whatever, right? Yeah. Um, you'll have supplements, nutritional products, skincare. Um, when you look at different categories, are there standard metrics that you look at or ratios for expenses for fulfillment or inventory? You know, are, are there certain, is there like a map that you use for, here's the baseline of what I would expect for this type of business? Yeah, of, of, of course there, there, there is. And, and that's what we, we kind of help bring to the forefront. You know, are you within those, you could almost call them industries, industry metrics. Right. Are you there? And, and on, on top of that, just because you're within the industry doesn't mean that that's necessarily where you need to be. You know, right. there's certain circumstances in your business that uh, may affect those, you know, merchant fees in particular, maybe maybe your chargebacks are running lower just because of your marketing and you don't need to be at the, the industry level of it. You know, same thing with product costs, you know, maybe uh, your product costs are a little bit higher, but your payment terms are a lot more acceptable. Right. You know, those are the normal conversations that when you have a CFO on staff full-time would have with you on a daily basis, those are the exact same conversations that, that we have with you as a, as a fractional CFO. Mm. You know, what other things can you do, not just hitting the industry benchmarks, but can you do for your metrics to improve those, to improve your individual business? Okay, okay. What's the, what's the place that you guys start with a, start with a conversation with clients uh, when we're talking about finance? Are you jumping in to... Um, you know, just, you know, what, what are you looking for when you, when you, when you begin to talk to somebody about from a financial perspective in their business, you know, what are you diving into typically? What's the first thing that you want to look at? Um, the first thing that I, that I want to look at is really just kind of the condition of their books, you know, where, where are they at? Are they cash basis, the accrual, they modified accrual, kind of to, to see where they are and then kind of see where they are in their business cycle. You know, are, are they a, a startup business that's still trying to acquire a customer, maybe uh they're trying to build their reoccurring revenue piece of it if they have that, or, you know, or if they're trying to build their rebuy, repurchase, their lifetime value, what kind of metrics are they at in their business that they're trying to affect? Mm-hmm. Then what we can do from the accounting finance side to help them set a goal for what those metrics need to be and then help them measure that and achieve those. Okay. Okay. I know when we were working with a particular uh, company that was doing manufacturing, um, we looked through a number of the different aspects of their business and identified like their fulfillment costs were extremely high as a ratio. And then their products were a little bit heavier. So it made sense on some level, but, you know, I think for that particular client, they were working um, on a cash basis. And so being able to anticipate what the total impact or cost was of inventory and fulfillment and all these other expenses they weren't taking those things into consideration. And I know, I know that you guys were pretty instrumental in helping them identify by helping them transition from that cash to accrual basis to get their, their metrics in line um, and then be able to make really intelligent decisions about where they need to adjust or make tweaks to their business to really accelerate or accentuate their profit. You know, is that, is that typically the thing that you will look at when you're, when you're making that type of transition or you're going through that data? Um, is that... I'm assuming that's fairly common when you guys are looking at it from a CFO's perspective. You, you know, that that's so common that I, that I would say that's every instance of, of, of every client that I deal with is getting, getting that knowledge down of what are my costs and then what can we do to affect them? You know, again, you know, I, I sound really repetitive on the, on the cash basis, but when, when it's cash, you're not getting all those costs in there. It's accumulating them, being able to measure them and then being able to have the effect on them. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so funny because in direct response, like everybody wants to know certain metrics that they're always keeping an eye on, right? Yeah. Um, you know, their CPA cost, their conversion rates, you know, they're looking at all the marketing numbers. Um, what are some of the key metrics that you look at from a financial perspective to tell if a business is really on track or on pace? You know, I like to simple it down because you're right. I think that's probably one of the most interesting things about the e-commerce business space in itself. There's probably more marketing metrics out there than, than any of us could ever ever learn or keep track of or anything else. And you're right; it seems like every budding uh, entrepreneur wants to track every single one of those. 
So what I try to do with the financials is I try to cut it down and match it with the overall goals of what they're trying to achieve with their business. That being like, like we talked about before, the cost per acquisition to make sure that's profitable. Then to measure the take rate on the reoccurring transactions. And what we do is, is we separate those out into a separate PL to track those so that you can look at the front end of your business. You can look at your acquisitions and say, okay, my acquisitions by themselves on that first sale at my gross margin line, I'm profitable. Okay. okay. Then on my reoccurring piece of it, with that being separate, that's going to be profit on top of that acquisition. So an ideal world, if, if your model is to be break even on your acquisition, and then you want to convert over to reoccurring, as long as that reoccurring revenue piece is enough to cover your overheads or to give us a number of what we need to be revenue wise based on your current take rate of reoccurring, we know where we need to be revenue wise and we know what we need to push to make the whole bottom line profitable. Mm -hmm. And would you say that that's one of the things that's, that's very different between like say like a bookkeeper or an accountant to a CFO is being able to like look at some of those uh, some of those metrics as far as like what's the action that we can take from here based on the numbers that we're seeing, not just reporting what the numbers are, but here's what the numbers are, here's what the goals are. How do we realign or what do we need to do? Does that make sense? Like how do we readjust so we can accomplish those goals that we've set out? Yeah, I, I think that's probably the, the, the biggest difference. It, it's, it's very easy to report the numbers. You know, it's, it's even fairly easy to take things over to, to the accrual basis, but it's, it's that advice. It's being that financial advisor piece that, that we bring that's a whole lot different to the table of being able to sit down and say, let's map this out, mm -hmm. let's map out your business and give a simple, easy plan of how to achieve that, that, that you want to do with your business. Let's, um, let's drill into that a little bit if you're okay with it. Um, Cause I'd like to understand like maybe like an example or a story or where, where you're looking at the numbers and to you, the way that you read those numbers, it's telling you a very significant story or something's got to change. And, and how did you help clients drive that change to, to either transform or enhance the, the profitability? Like what's the, what's that look like from an action perspective when, when you have a CEO who's working with you? What's it look like, right? How do they, how does that, what does that mean? Or how do, what's the, you know, what's, what's that look like from a, from a marketer's perspective, the impact that this can make? You know, I think usually, you know, I can give specific examples of it, but I think overall, it's kind of the same scenario. I usually have somebody come to me and they say, okay, at the end of the day, my bank balance is not enough for me to be able to have money to grow. I don't know why all of my marketing seems to be right, but I don't know what's going on. That's, that's the normal scenario. So what, what we would do is, is we dive into that and we'd figure okay. out the facts from the finance accounting side of it on why that equation isn't it. Then work backwards once we kind of drill down and we figure it out. And now to kind of go to like a specific client that I've helped, they came to me in that exact situation. They were like, man, we keep trying. Things aren't working out. We figured out with them also that their, uh, their supplier cost was too high on their product. Mm -hmm. and on top of that, they, they had terms with their client where they were, they were cash and carry. So with that, we sat down, we figured those two items out. We negotiated a pricing uh, break with their product supplier. And then on top of that, we stretched the terms out with the supplier. We, we got to net 30 with some and net 60 with the other. And the next thing you know, they're in the black on their acquisition. That let them then concentrate on the reoccurring side of their business. And on top of that, those change in terms alone right there was enough for them to build up kind of a piggy bank in cash per se. And then when the marketing kind of hit and they started getting the, the niche in the market that they wanted, they were able to take that cash, funnel that back into their marketing plan and just grow exponentially. They, they went from probably, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a month to 1.52 million dollars a month in a, nice. for about eight months. That's great. Was that just as simple as like jumping in and having a conversation? Hey, we need to have this conversation. It, it, it is. Yeah. You know, having that conversation, getting a plan and then, then helping them with the plan. You know, I, I was on the call with them just like I was their CFO mm -hmm. with those providers. And, and a lot of the times, you know, 
it has to be tough conversations. So I can kind of be in there as, as the bad cop, good cop scenario, you know, right. where, where I'm, I'm really kind of holding their feet to the fire. And if I do that too much, you know, the good cop can kind of step in and say, oh, okay, we're, we're good here. You know, we can, we can back off a little bit, but ultimately it gets what they need to be able to run their business where they want it to go. So all this is great. I'm just going to chime in here. All this is fantastic information, but for people like myself who are direct response marketers, everyone, if they're still on, wants to fall asleep. So let's talk about some other stuff that, and see, I see Travis laughing. Travis is adoring every second of this. The rest of us want to hang ourselves from the nearest tree. So let's jump into some questions that um, direct response marketers who have ADHD can follow. Um, so one of the things that I'd love to ask you, and I actually know the answer to a couple of the questions I'm going to ask you because I've been on these calls, uh, with you, give me some of the, um, some of the, uh, things that you've come across that we're doing in the direct response marketing space from a finance aspect that's killing our profits. Um, I know that you have gotten a chance to look at people's books and then understand why they're doing what they're doing. So give us some of the top, you know, maybe three things that, that we're doing that's completely wrong because we're focused on the marketing instead of understanding our numbers. Oh, okay. That, that's no problem. I, I probably got a list a lot longer than three, but I, I, I'll, I'll limit it to three. You can do five. Just make sure they're funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think probably the, the biggest one that I would go with is, is a lot of the marketers, entrepreneurs have the, have the mindset of, I'm going to throw this together and see if it works. And from there, I'll fix it once it scales. Yep. All the time. Yep. And I, I think a lot of the times the go back and fix it when it scales is the tough part because they just fail like, you know what, I'll just make it grow a little bit more and I'll have enough cash in here. I'll have enough revenue that that'll cover all of my mistakes, all of my issues, and we'll be perfectly good. So it's breaking that mindset and saying, you know what, you can do both at the same time. I think that's beautiful. Would be probably number one. Number two, um, I would probably say same thing is kind of following back with contracts on things, you know, the, the, the paperwork side of the business world, you know, and making sure that, you know, just because you've agreed to buy 500 units at one time at this price, making sure that down the road with that same provider, you can buy a thousand units at a cheaper price at that point in time too, so that you know where, when your business grows, where you're going to be at with that also. Mm. Um, and then I, I think the other side of it too is the, the regulatory side. If I were to probably just stick with my top three, you know, making sure that uh, we're going about sales tax correctly, making sure that we got the business structure set up correctly, those type of things. How long does it take you to review all that kind of stuff typically with it, with a normal merchant? I'm just curious. Is that like a, a one week process? Is that a two month process? Is that a year process? Like what, what's it, what's it typically <laughs> take to dive into that? You know, it depends on where they're at with their, with their business. It depends on how many products, you know, I like to do an onboarding in, in, in about a two week time frame. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer just to kind of depending on how far out there they are in the ADHD spectrum as uh, Emma wanted to put it. <laughs> I like that. Um, so if we're, if someone's thinking about bringing you on, and bringing your team on, what are some things that they can prepare prior to that first meeting to make your job a little bit smoother and easier and less stressful on them? You know, I, I think the, the biggie to make it a little bit less stressful to them is to be able to maybe have some of the conversation in the initial conversation, kind of where they are or where they think they are cost-wise. So that as we're pulling the numbers together with them, I can refer back to that conversation and I can spot things as we're pulling them together and start taking action right away instead of having to kind of wait, get everything together. Then two, three weeks later, we circle up and say, okay, does this match what you have? You know, I may have something that rolls across my desk and when we have the previous conversation say, oh, this is a problem right here and there and, and address that and make a, a quicker impact that way. Can you give an example of that? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, 
I think a lot of times uh, maybe merchant processing, you know, they're, they aren't aware maybe what their fees are and really quickly, I can do a really quick intro on merchant processing and, and make a very large impact on, on that percentage of fees for them. You know, I think mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Um, you covered two. I don't know if you were going to go through a third one, the top, top two, three, five, um, other, yeah. other areas there. I, I, th I thought I had three in there, but uh, let, let me think on a, on a third. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's so many, it's, it's hard to categorize and they kind of run together a little bit. Sometimes. I'd love to talk about um, lifetime value of a customer. Mm. A lot of marketers that we've worked with, we've spent time because they didn't understand how to calculate that or they didn't understand the importance of it. So we've had to spend time, you know, not only educating them about it. Does your company spend time on understanding, because, you know, we know you can look at the overall company and whether the overall company is profitable, but particularly for marketers that have four or five, six products, one product may be sucking the life out of everything. So do you go through product by product, look at AOV, lifetime value, all of that stuff and kind of assess that with marketers? Is that something that you guys generally do? We, we do do that. I, you know, I think a lot of times in the marketing world, the lifetime value is this magical formula that they, they think does solve everything. And it is a great formula. And I think being able to simplify that down and what, what we like to do is, is again, is to kind of, if we need to, if someone is very, very heavy in the lifetime value of their customer is to go and break it out. We can actually break the financials out by product line. And then on top of that, that allows us to come back and kind of back into a lifetime value scenario and then go over that and then say, okay, is your lifetime value within range of what you expect it to be? And what, what can we do and help from, you know, kind of a marketing perspective to, to increase that lifetime value? Are there certain tools or systems that you guys utilize to help you uh, dive into that data more granularly? Uh, there is, we have, we have a lot of proprietary software uh, and what we do is, is we actually make a connection with whatever CRM they're using and we pull their sales by um, out of their CRM and then mm -hmm. we use that SKU breakdown to, in our software to apply the product cost that, that we assign to that. So we do a full costing system for them down to the, down to the margin line. So that, that's, that's what we do a lot different than, than most accounting bookkeeping firms. Okay. Um, I'd like to, hmm, here's, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I know Emma is struggling right now. And, and <laughs> because here's the thing, right? Like from a finance perspective, like these are things that are super critically important to really have a solid understanding. You're so important. I agree. They're so important. But they're so hard to pay attention to, right? <laughs> so... So, um, yeah, how, do, how can we dial this into um, more direct action for a client or for direct marketers, things that they can actually walk, you know, look at their business or go do something, you know, from a financial perspective that they can say, okay, let me go look at this. You know, I, I think the first thing is to take a look at your books and okay. Make, make sure that you have the, the thorough, under, thorough understanding of what's going on with them. You know, do, do the numbers make sense to you? Um, and then if they, they don't, you know, don't uh, rely on just the kind of the marketing intuition and say, oh, okay, everything's, everything's perfect. You know, if they don't match up with what you think your marketing position is, that's when, you know, reach out for help. You know, that's, that's where our services come into play. And so like what type of things um, when they look at their books, should they be looking at? Because you, you've got your sales, you, you know, you look at your top line revenue and income. That's easy. Everybody gets excited about looking at their income coming in. Um, but, you know, is there like a certain ratio? I mean, obviously, if you're on a cash basis or accrual, either one, and you're looking, you're making, you know, losing money, that's obviously a huge red flag. What's, what are you doing, right? Um, but, you know, what other things should they actually be looking at when they're looking at their books? What's, what's a... a something that should have, give them a little bit of a warm fuzzy, what's something that should be like a red alert, take a look at? You know, I, I think probably for the warm fuzzy is to, to look down to kind of that middle, middle line there at the margin line and make sure that every time you're making a sale, you're mm -hmm. making a profit at that line. I think that's probably the warm fuzzy. Okay. And then, then it's the piece of 
being able to look at your, they call, you know, your overhead expenses, your, your utility bills, those type of things, mm-hmm. and, and make sure that those are just really where they, they need to be. You know, that's kind of where, hey, am, am, I, am I paying too much for, you know, maybe some contract marketers, things like that, you know. Where do you usually, when you're looking with clients, how, what are the things that you honestly see like the biggest impact on when it comes to revenue or profitability? What are the needle movers that actually, man, crank that thing one way or another from a financial perspective? You know, I, I think probably the biggest movers, you, you have to sit back and, and look at kind of what your biggest, biggest expenses are going to be in there and tackle those first. Um, reducing those, which builds up the cash, and then that's going to make the biggest mover on the, on the marketing revenue piece. Do you have like a standardized percentage of, for example, how much of a percentage of revenue should be for fulfillment? How much of a standard of revenue should be for marketing? How much of a percentage of revenue should be for manufacturing? And I understand that you're not going to be able to answer that on this call, but from product to product, business to business, do you kind of set that up with your clients on what their target should be? Oh, of course, of course. And it, it's it's not only just going to be, you know, what I have access to in the industry, you know, we can also, we also adjust that for basically what their product mix is, what their type of marketing mix is too. You know, depending on the type of marketing they're using to make sales is going to make a difference on their, on their marketing and making sure that all those percentages combined together still puts them in the, in the black is the key. So yeah, we definitely work through that. Definitely use kind of industry benchmarks, other competitor benchmarks, and uh, kind of come up with their own tailored plan. Um, I'm curious because uh, as we're working through, you know, you've you've obviously worked with a lot of different marketers and direct response. Um, do you remember like did you have any products or categories that are clients that you were working with that were just like wacky? You know, or, like their product, you're like, oh my god, I can't believe this is selling. I'm just I'm just curious. Oh, oh yeah, by by far. I, I've, I've had some where it's kind of like, wow, I, I, I can't believe uh, some of our, our federal agencies are okay with it. So yeah, by far, yeah. I, I think if I give specific examples, I'll probably have some. Uh, Every marketer just woke <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I definitely run into that from time to time. Um, yeah, did that, uh, <laughs> what was... Um, you know, is that stuff that you begin to kind of drive, drill into with clients a little bit um, from that perspective? Yeah, by, by far. I mean, you know, ultimately it's, it's their business, you know, uh, but uh, by far I'll definitely give my two cents on, on that kind of stuff and say, hey, you know, are you sure this is something that you can, you can build a business on, you know, or, uh, or is this the direction you want to go? So, yeah, you, you'll, you'll definitely get my two cents on it, but uh, ultimately, you know, it's, it's what they want to do as a business owner. Right. Right. Um, and then when you've talked to those clients, you know, what were some of the, you know, obviously you're going to get people who are like, yeah, no, yeah, I'm not interested in making those changes. But when you are working with clients who are receptive to making some shifts, um, do you get very granular with those clients as far as, um, you know, looking at maybe compliance issues or working with attorneys or, you know, different things to kind of do the marketing that they want to do, but in a more compliant way or in a way that's reasonable or accepted or, mitigates or takes off some of the risk a little bit from a financial perspective um yeah yeah i mean there's there's a lot of professionals out there you know in our spaces you know that are great on the regulatory and and that type of thing and, and the legal side of it so usually what, I, what i'll do is I'll, I'll i'll spot a problem or i'll spot an issue and then say hey you know hey let's let's pull in a professional you know this is a little bit out of my my realm you know let's pull in a professional get some great advice on this and you know, there's, there's usually a way to accomplish what they want to accomplish. It's just hitting the, the right spots to be able to, uh, to do that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to share a, a kind of silly story for a second, but, um, um, you know, I've, I've been at conferences before where you have uh, people from FTC on a panel talking, you know, and, um, you know, so I've, I've seen marketers kind of present some of those things and, you know, Unfortunately, um, you know, I tend to be a little bit cynical when it comes to, you know, government regulatory bodies as far as what their motives are. Um, just because I've, I've, I've heard the real stories from different marketers about what the experience is like going through some sort of regulatory action. Um, and it's, you know, uh, 
sometimes I, there's there's marketers who have definitely gotten the short end of the stick when it comes to those types of compliance issues. Um, and so I, I'm a little bit curious, like when you know somebody's kind of pushing or a little bit aggressive, um, you know, is that something where when you're talking about accrual, is there an accrual for, you know, legal... <laughs> Legal defense bill. I'm just serious, right? Yeah, legal defense, maybe maybe yeah. insurance expense or something. Something, right? Uh, re regretfully, not. I, I don't know if that's a, that, that's an entry you'd, you'd want them to see when they're looking over things. You know that, that you, you you know you had an issue. You know, maybe just legal like legal fees or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, retainer um, maybe we could call it. <laughs> Well, you know, cause I know like, um, like from a very, like, especially for companies, um, being successful, it doesn't matter how compliant you are, you will have, uh, these low life deadbeat attorneys, uh, class action attorneys, or, um, you know, people who are just looking to file lawsuits against marketers, right? Like they make literally their, their business or their job of it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I know there's, there's certain defenses. We've talked to uh, different attorneys where they have defenses against, um, you know, uh, class action lawsuits, simple, you know, terms, conditions, you know, work with a qualified lawyer to, to help you with that. But nonetheless, like you still, it's, it's not uncommon to have legal expenses and to plan for having those legal expenses. Um, you know, and so I, I just didn't, I just was curious, you know, uh, if you've ever worked with clients who are very intentional or mindful about that, so that they look at the long term success of their business and are able to accommodate uh, unexpected things that, that a less prepared marketer would not be able to. Yeah, I, I think most, I think most uh, marketers would probably not want to account for it. They, they just prefer that it didn't happen. <laughs> but uh, the, re, the reality of it is that that, that does happen. And, and, and yeah, it, it's not out of the question, you know, to, to basically uh, kind of set some cash aside so that if, and, and when some of those, those, uh, individuals out there come knocking with a class action or something like that you you have the funds available to to, to make a settlement offer or, or, or things along those lines to you know to to regretfully just kind of i hate to say it, make make it go away so that you can get back to focusing on your business you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah so, um, and then would you say very many marketers do some sort of like retainer, like legal retainer as part of just their operating costs? And is there you know, certain metrics that you would say is maybe typical if they do that? I, I, I don't see it very often, um, but uh, you know, if they definitely wanted to do it, it would be something that, that, you, that you definitely could do. Mm -hmm. you know? But uh, no, you, you, don't, you don't see it too often. I, I think a, a lot of the marketers uh, just kind of tackle it when it, when it happens. Yeah. But it doesn't happen. Yes, exactly. Uh, I'm not going to get insurance, but I hope I don't get a car accident. <laughs> All right. Um, and then I'm kind of curious, Richard, do you, do you go to um, conferences? You know, what type of, obviously you're going to some of the online marketing conferences, not right now, but um, yeah. generally, are you heading out to Affiliate Summit? Are you going to, you know, Traffic and Conversion? Are there other ones that you typically head out to? You know, I, I think uh, I think when the COVID kind of blows over here, I'm sure. definitely making some some appearances at them. So yeah, I definitely want to get out to the affiliate summit. So it's it's definitely on my agenda. But you've mm. never been before. I, I have not. No, no. Usually they they don't let the accounting guy out of the back. You know. So yeah, it'll be a first for me. Fantastic. Are you in any of like the groups like direct response marketing partners stuff like that? Um, just kind of networking with marketers. I'm just wondering um, if you guys, I know Yvette is in the group, but I was wondering if you-, you Yeah, yeah, Yvette's our, uh, our director of sales and, and she's definitely in those things. I usually uh, let her do that side of it and I try to focus on my, my boring stuff and, uh, and stick with that. But uh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm making the, the effort this year. It's kind of a new year's resolution to, to get out there a little bit more and, and to get into those things and, and definitely do that. Fantastic. Um, um, <laughs> Richard, tell us, um, you know, what are your objectives when you look at uh, 2021 coming up here, right? And, and for what the plan is, you know, based on your experience and where you've seen kind of things happening in the industry and also from a finance perspective, what are the things that you're looking for or, or are you looking at things in a different way for 2021 than you were for 2020? 
You, you know, I think uh, 2020 has probably been a, a rough year for about everybody with COVID and the lockdowns and everything. You know, I'm pretty optimistic for 2021. I, I think that's going to be the, uh, I think it's going to be the the year of e-commerce, to be honest with you. I, I think COVID and the lockdowns has shifted everybody into kind of the e-commerce mindset. Or, yeah. or, uh, regretfully, I think it's probably the, the death of the, of the retail traditional box and, and mortar stores. But uh, I think it's going to be nothing but opportunity for, for us that are already in the space and already know what's going on. And uh, I think uh, being in this space already, it's gonna give us the advantage over the people moving into it. And uh, I, I think it's gonna be fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree. I think people who are positioned ready to, to get going, um, you know, there's, there's a tremendous amount of skill set that direct response and internet marketers and e-commerce marketers have developed that everybody is going to need to learn or, or jump into if you're going to, you know, be successful in the next five, 10, 15 years, especially, right? Um, the other thing I'm curious about is because when you look, you know, there's a lot of things that you can tell from a company or from a space or from an industry when you look back at the financials. Um, you know, what are, what are some of the things that um, surprise you or some of the things that, that um, you know, tell you the story? What are the things that you look at that tell you the story of the business from the numbers perspective? You, you know, it's it's just that. They, they always say that the financial piece, it, it should tell a story. You know, you should be able to look at the, the P&L, the balance sheet and, and see a story. And, and, and you can see everything from, uh, you know, bad marketing decisions to failed campaigns to successful ones to, you know, costs that were out of line. It's, it's every, every mistake and every good thing is in there. Um, you know, it, it reads like a book, I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah. And um, are there, are there things that have surprised you when you look at the numbers and you look at the financials, you're seeing certain vendors, certain service providers or certain things that you, you know, maybe were shocked to kind of uncover or to, to dig into? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's what's interesting a lot of the times, you know, since I deal with so many e-commerce uh, businesses is there's, there's a lot of the common providers that, that people go to. And, and sometimes I, I have the benefit of seeing the pricing from one to another. Yep. And sometimes I'll, I'll see the exact same product at the exact same place and say, oh, wow, they're paying uh, $3 a unit more. Uh, or, oh, or same thing sometimes on the fulfillment side. So ha having that insight, I think, is always kind of surprising to me. And that's that's always one thing that does jump out at me. You know, it, it kind of goes back to what you were saying before of shopping, you mm -hmm. know, and, and being effective in that shopping. Yeah. And it probably highlights like certain type of special relationships, too. Right. Because just because one marketer like, um, you know, we, we, you know, if you're if you're a tiny marketer and you're working with a giant, let's say, manufacturer, um, it may be a lot more time and energy to work with you as a manufacturer, right? Where, you know, if you're huge brand doing, you know, hundreds of thousands of units, you know, whatever, a month, a day, whatever the time frame is, um, you know, that's, it, there's, there's justification for maybe some sort of special pricing, right? Correct, correct. It, it's, it's seeing the anomaly and then, and then making sure there's the justification for it and, you know, making sure that maybe that manufacturer is, is the right fit. Maybe there's another one that uh, you can switch over to that, that may see you just as that huge uh, supplier too. Yeah. And then being able to look at those anomalies, because those are the things that for you, you're looking at those financials or you're looking at those things and then you, you get curious, right? And then you begin to dig in, well, why is this number this high? Or why, you know, what was whatever, there, there, there's something that kind of flags your curiosity when you look at the financials and that allows you to dig into and understand the story a little bit better and understand that what that anomaly is and is it important or does it need to impact what your business is or your change? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it goes back to kind of, you know, that's the the boring side for the <laughs> entrepreneur is to to dig into that side of it. But for me and, and, and some people out there, that, that's the exciting side for me you know, seeing that anomaly and being able to kind of dig in and make an impact on the business from that side of the business is what, what I enjoy. Emma, what are some of the things that when you're talking to clients from a financial perspective, what are the things that where you see like there's a real opportunity 
from somebody like a Be Fulfilled Systems, right, to, to really help our clients move the needle or help them understand and tell the story in a way that, um, you know, allows them to deal with the stuff that just makes you want to pull your hair out, right? But, but then you take that, that conversation mm-hmm. and you can walk away with something actionable with a client. Yeah. So um, the first thing is a lot of us don't understand our financials. Right. And a lot of us don't understand the lifetime value, which I actually hold a high importance on because it drives what I need to be spending money on and how I need to be spending it and what I need my marketing messages to be. A lot of us have no idea what our processing fees are, what it's actually costing us, what our chargeback numbers are what our costs actually truly are. Um, Because I pay $3.12 for a bottle and I charge $69 for that bottle, but how come there's no money in the bank? Um, I think it's great that a lot of marketers are doing like, you know, $3 million and terrible that they're spending 300 uh, or 3.2 to to make that. (laughs) Yeah. And it happens over and over and over again. They have no idea. We come in all the time. They're on cash. They don't know where the money's going because they don't see the whole picture. They have no idea how to see the picture, no idea how to read a P&L. And I think that that's okay. I don't think that it's necessarily like, hey, you have to sit down and learn this financing piece, but you certainly have to bring someone on board, um, whether it's a fractional CFO or, or, you know, a partner that's really good at finance. That's what I did um, <laughs> or, or whatever. Um, and sit down and at least have them explain to you what these different things mean. Um, and Richard, you and I have been on calls with clients um, that is also hard for me to pay attention to, but we're going, we're, we'll be going over specific things like here's your spend. What I want you to understand is, and you do uh, on these calls that I've been on with you, at least once I've been on with you, I thought it was really good the way that you kind of piece things together for people who are not going to understand that high level finance talk. And it's like, okay, here's your spend. And I get, you know, here's how much money you made. Here's how much money you spent. This is the percentage of that. And this is one thing, you know, like take, for example, um, manufacturing if manufacturing is 44 percent, and you still have to pay for a crm and you still have to pay for operations you still have to pay for customer service where's where's this money coming from that's where it's all going um so that's the value add that i see travis is not having to plan a budget not having to worry about doing that side of the research being able to go to richard or someone like him and say hey, I want to launch this product. And this is such a stupid thing that people do all the time. I want to launch this product. I'm going to charge this amount because marketing dictates that that dollar amount will sell the best. And I have no idea what any of my other fixed costs are. I have no idea what my variable costs might be, but let me go ahead and throw this out there and see if it works and then not understand why my house has a lien on it afterwards. So being able to, um, I, I love being, no one in the audience gets to actually see Travis's face, but when I say things like that, the faces he makes, well, it's true though. It's true that, you know, they, they didn't take any of the time to understand the full amount of, of the costs that go into it all. So having someone like Richard, where you can be like, Hey, this is, you know, you have my books, you know, what I'm paying for other things, you know, what I'm going to need. Here's how much this product is. Here's how much I want to pay an affiliate payments. Here's how much I want to charge for it. What are your thoughts? And he can tell you, yeah, that's great. In two years, once you factor in refunds, once you factor in chargebacks, once you factor in fulfillment that you haven't bothered to factor in, um, you're, you're losing money on it. Every bottle that you sell, you're going to lose two bucks. And so that is where the value add I think is, is that high level understanding. You utilize that person to do all of that work, looking at those spreadsheets and talking it about it to their other little network of number geeks, and then coming back and relaying it to you in ways that you can understand and relate to your business. Travis has no idea where to go. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's keep driving. So Richard, um, can I ask you when you're looking at a funnel, like let's, let's say I come to you. I'd, I'd actually love to talk this out. I just got excited. So let's say I want to build a funnel and I want to figure out like, I need some upsells and I need, you know, this core product and I want to do a custom formula. 
what are some of the things that we're going to talk through to see what I need to do from a financial mm. aspect to get this thing off the ground? How do I create Travis really take notes? Cause we're writing a budget for this. <laughs> um, what are some of the things that I should be looking at? Like, like really help me walk through what needs to be considered fine from a financial aspect from the very beginning to the launch of a funnel. Travis, I just got Richard to write our ebook. <laughs> you, you know that, that's a that's a long answer to that. So I'm gonna try to condense it down, um, and 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 make it a little bit easier. But I, I think it's just kind of like you said. You you've got to kind of figure where you roughly want to land for the price point, mm -hmm. right? And then it's going through and it, and it's actually capturing the costs that go with that, and making sure that price point's going to work for you. If not, then making an adjustment on that price point, you know, going through it and factoring in, okay, what do we want to target for a take rate on that upsell? Can we achieve that take rate? If not, what is my funnel going to look like when I'm done? So it's going through A, getting a rough price point, B, getting all of your costs that are going to go in there, the, the, the whole spectrum of it. And, and a lot of them, you know, that's where we come in pretty heavily. A lot of uh, marketers don't know what all those costs are, just like, like you said earlier. Mm -hmm. So it's getting all those costs, getting some plan for what the upsells are, if it's first upsell, second upsell, and just what those take rates are, and then making sure that that first cost is going to back out when all of those costs are happening and all of those percentages of upsells happen to make sure that that funnel on its own is profitable. What's the what's some of the most commonly overlooked cost elements? Um, I would say I would say a large piece of it is just is the merchanting merchant fees. A lot mm -hmm. of people don't understand the fee structure for taking card not present. I think uh, that, and I think the refund percentages. A lot of people say. You know what? I have the best product in the world. Nobody in the <laughs> right mind is going to want to send this back to me. Um, and I think capturing the the additional fees from chargebacks, and then I would also probably throw in there the the fulfillment piece of it. A lot of places now, in particular, is a lot of competition on the fulfillment as things are moving into the online market. I think the fulfillment piece of it is getting more and more expensive. That's good. Um, and when you're looking at uh, planning for the upsells, right? Um, are there certain, you know, because because you you've looked through a number of different campaigns. I'm assuming when you're looking at the, what the financial perspective looks like, yeah. are there certain things, you know, nobody can predict the future as far as like what's going to work and what's not and how it's going to perform. But there are certain times where you see tendencies or similarities across, you know, offers and structures and funnels and, you know, um, what those upsells are. What what's a common take rate? Again, copy plays a factor of that design product, but you generally have a fairly good sense. I'm, I'm assuming what normal take rates are between this range and this range. What do you typically see? Yeah. You know, I, I think just like you said, it, a lot of it depends on the copy and the aggressiveness of the copy. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think, you know, the norm would be anywhere from the 20 to 30% range, but again, that depends on the aggressiveness of your, sure. copy, you know, but I, I think the, the biggie is, is, picking a conservative number and then being able to beat that number. You know, mm -hmm. it's very easy for, for the marketers to say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to have a 70% take rate because this, this is the best marketing in the whole wide world. You know what plan for a 20 have, have a seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'm curious about, cause it's something that I've done in the past where we build out, you know, um, projections, performance based on uh, what, a number of different variables that you're estimating. Um, I know in the trial offer space, it used to be pretty formulaic. Um, you know, certain metrics or, or certain bench lines uh, or benchmarks that you see across the board almost universally. Um, and you kind of have a sense of where those ranges are. Um, and I'm curious if there's um, metrics that you guys have, or you guys have like calculators that you use when you're working with somebody who's launching a campaign, you know, is there a tool or resource that, that you'll take clients through to help them anticipate what their projections are and where their marketing benchmarks need to be, where their operation benchmarks need to be? Because we're kind of talking about that. And it's one thing to, to say it. It's another thing to begin to plan it out and how to actually execute and implement it and know 
are you hitting your KPIs or not? Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. We, we'll sit down and we'll basically go through your, your funnel. Mm -hmm. And with that, establish A, where you want to be, and then B, where, where you're falling and where that works kind of across the industry. And, and, if, and really, it's more to the marketer if those are acceptable numbers. And, and yeah, definitely put the visibility on that and, uh, and then take action items off of those and, and help work through those. Mm -hmm. And do you guys work more with established companies and help them fix their numbers? Or do you work more with companies that are launching new campaigns or a combination, maybe an existing client who's now launching a new funnel and new campaign and helping them build and, and budget out for that? You, you know, it's, it's a fair combination of the two. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think uh, both ends of the spectrum need, uh, need a lot of assistance on, on the back office side of things. Uh, which one do you have more fun with? Uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm probably crazy for saying this, but I think, I think the startup piece of it is, is a lot more fun. There's a lot more energy into getting things going. The, the, the speed is there. Um, but I, I, th I think those I have a little bit more fun with. Mm -hmm. um, and is it just the newness of it or the creativity of it or what, what draws you to that? I, I think the newness and the creativity. I, I think uh, there's there's nothing better than having a marketer come to me with just giddy with the idea that they want to go with and, and then just help helping them be successful with that. You know, that that's that's an amazing ride. Fantastic. Um, Richard, is there anything that you think, you know, somebody's listening through this, the key takeaway for any business owner or entrepreneur based on kind of our conversation or other things that we might not have even touched on that you're like, this is critical. You really need to know this. I, I, I think if they've, if they've made it this far, I've got, I've got to come up with something. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, you, you know, I think the key takeaway is, is that, you know, you can't just focus on, on the marketing and, and the growing side of your business, the, the finance and the back office piece of it, you've either got to focus on equally or find the professionals to help you do that and let you then stay focused on what you want to do in the marketing side of it. I think that's the key takeaway. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, get somebody who's really good at the things that you're really weak at. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you just, you just, you just want to focus on other stuff. Sure. 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 All right. Well, Richard, I, uh, I thank you for jumping on here with us. Um, I know it's, uh, you know, sometimes a little bit of a challenging or, or even, um, you know, intimidating topic to kind of jump into when you're talking about finances and what. But a do. very necessary. As much as I hate and and I apologize, Richard. Travis can tell you I've actually been very well behaved on this finance call. You should see me at the shockwave calls. I'm like upside down in my chair, losing my mind. Um, but it is a very necessary conversation to have. And one of the things that I would just like to add is if you have the right CFO or fractional CFO or team, a lot of people make the mistake of having a bookkeeper because it's cheap and easy and your bills get paid. But if you don't have your finger on the pulse of the money that is coming in and the money is going out and understanding that every dollar has a name and what that name is and what it belongs to, mm -hmm. you cannot drive your business in the same um, speed that someone who does can. So you can certainly drive your business that way, but you can keep a lot more of the money by spending a little bit on the understanding of the roadmap of your budget and of your your true costs, not what you think are your costs, not what QuickBook mm -hmm. tells you. Um, so um, I definitely appreciate you uh, coming on and, and explaining all of this to us. But here's the great thing is when you have someone like Richard on your team, you don't have to sit through the here's let me make you understand what I'm trying to say because he's just going to paint a picture of your business instead of trying to explain to you how finances work. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And I, and I think that's probably one of the real benefits or value of a CFO or fractional CFO is that they take it, they take the data, they interpret it into what do you do? What do you, what do we need to do? Where do we need to spend our time and energy focusing on fixing or resolving or improving? Would you say that's accurate, Richard? I would say that's 100% accurate. Okay, good. All right. Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap it up for the for the day. And uh, Richard, thanks for jumping on. If uh, people want to reach out to you um, or have questions about finance, or maybe there's uh, something that they're just not sure they're doing right, or if they're 
you want some insight? Is that something you're open to, to talking to some of our audience members about? Oh, most most definitely. Love, okay. to, love to. Always like to talk about accounting and finance. Great. We're going to include then uh, Richard's uh, information at the bottom of our description of our podcast. And then if there's anything that you guys need from, you know, trying to figure out these, these numbers and the complexity of it, uh, let's help you make it simple. And uh, we'll go from there with that. Thanks again. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you.